Hello and welcome to your January edition of 117, your way to connect with all we can and our global community. We'll be sharing stories from our partners and talking to our community of supporters like you in the UK and overseas. Since starting in 2020 in response to the first lockdowns, 117 has grown from a way for us to stay connected and hold together into a regular video broadcast and podcast. You can watch live on our YouTube channel and Facebook page, and you can listen to the podcast on our website at allwecan.org.uk forward slash podcast. How have development charities got it wrong in the past? How can we stand up when we see racism in our institutions or communities? Today, Tim has been talking to author, academic and liberation theologian, Professor Anthony Reddy, discussing his writing, global affairs and decolonizing aid. Plus, keep listening for more about our Lent resources, available now for your church, family or group. Join us this Lent as we take a deep dive into All We Can's unique and pioneering partnership model of development and equip yourself to join us as we put communities in the driving seat of development. Welcome to 117, where all things hold together. Well, good afternoon, friends, and welcome to 117, uh, here live on Wednesday, uh, the 18th of January. It's great to have you with us, joining wherever you are tuning in from this afternoon. If you're here live watching along as we have this conversation, then you are most welcome. Uh, if you're tuning in later on, uh, or you've found this video, or you've uh, joined our community at a later date, then you are welcome to and we want to hear from you. We want you to get in touch. You can uh, post below this video in the comments on Facebook or YouTube, or you can get in touch with the All We Can team uh, at All We Can UK uh, on any of the, the main social medias. We want to, uh, this 117 space is a space for conversation, uh, as it has been since it began at the uh, very beginning of lockdown. Uh, and it's good to be back uh, again in this uh, way in which we now only gather once a month, but it's still really nice to see uh, friends old and new as we connect uh, across the uh, the miracle of the internet. My name's Tim, I'm part of the team at All We Can uh, and delighted to be able to host this little space. But as we always say, this space belongs to you as much as it does to us. So uh, get in touch uh, in the comments, let us know where you're watching from, let us know what the weather's doing where you are because uh, we have this sort of British obsession with talking about the weather. Uh, let us know what uh, what's been happening in your month since we last gathered online, how 2023 has begun for you. Because this is a space of togetherness where we hold together, uh, celebrating uh, um, uh, much as Paul did in Colossians 1.17, that in Christ we are all held together across the world uh, and wherever we are tuning in from. Um, just one church notice from me before we get started, uh, which is that uh, All We Can's Lent resources are now available to uh, order, to pre-order. So if you go to that web link there, allwecan.org.uk forward slash Lent. You can uh, put in a pre-order for our uh, beautiful Lent devotional. If you'd like a physical copy, 
uh, or you can sign up to receive uh, emails during Lent, or you might like to just hold on a little bit and we'll put all of that content uh, at that same web link available online in the coming the coming weeks. Uh, and we look forward to engaging with you across Lent uh, in the, the weeks to come. Uh, watch this space uh, and do get in touch with us if you've got any questions about any any of that. Fab, well, in, with no further ado, shall we find out who is at the door? Anthony Reddy is at the door. Welcome to 117, Anthony. Yeah, hello. It's great to be with you. Thanks very much. Come on in, get comfortable in the uh, the All We Can 117 lounge. Um, I hope you are well. Where are you? Where are you calling in from today, Anthony? I'm calling in from my flat in Moseley, Birmingham, B13. Lovely. Thank you very much. Well, it's a real honour for us to have you with us. Um, uh, as I said in the little intro there, you're a, a hero of mine and um, I've uh, read lots of your stuff, heard you speak lots uh, in, in um, very powerful and affecting ways over the years. And so really looking forward to, to this conversation. But before we kind of get into the, the meat of the conversation, we, we like to play a silly game with all of our guests here at 117 uh, called All the Questions You Can. Uh, are, are you up for this, Anthony? Yeah, I'm Absolutely. Okay, go on. Excellent. So I'm going to set my clock for, for 90 seconds and we'll have a whole bunch of silly questions and we'll see how far we can get. Welcome to all the questions you can. So here goes. Uh, the questions start sensible and get increasingly silly, and your time starts now. What is your full name? Anthony George Reddy. Where are you now? In Birmingham, well, mostly Birmingham. Hymns or modern worship songs? Hymns. What's your favourite food at a barbecue? Chicken. What's the longest book you've ever written? Ever written? Uh, probably theologising Brexit. What are you doing straight after this? Probably having lunch. Favourite flavour of ice cream? Rum, rum and raisin. Oh, strong. Uh, can you tell me one song you'd like to dance to? Prince's Kiss. Oh, yes. Uh, should pineapple be allowed on a pizza? Nope. Do you have a favourite theologian? James Conn. Would you rather have legs for arms or arms for legs? Legs for arms. Strong. What is your favourite colour? Black. If you had to give a talk on any topic for 10 minutes, what would it be? West Indies cricket. Ketchup or mayonnaise? Mayonnaise. Tea, coffee or hot chocolate? Coffee. Would you like a biscuit with that? Yes. Would you rather spend a night in a luxury hotel or a backpacking tent? Luxury hotel. What's the best book you've read so far this year? Ooh, good, 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 good. Ah, um, probably say, um, oh, good Lord, I've gone blank. Um, book by Jarrell Robinson Brown. Yeah, fab, I know the one. Um, is your desk tidy or messy? Messy. Uh, what is your, oh, that, that is the hooter. 
but uh, at, at 20, we'll take your answer for 20. What is your favourite shape of pasta? Was question 20. Oh, uh, squarely. Nice. Excellent. Thank you. Some really good uh, answers in there. I think there was. I think. I think that was tough. The book stumped you a little bit, didn't you? Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if it, if this, it wasn't this for one. the book, I would have sailed into the twenties. <laughs> <laughs> was it? Was it this one? Black, grey, that's British, the one. That's Christian the one. and queer. Excellent. It's on my bookshelf right in front of me. Uh, we 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 highly recommend that at one seventeen, uh, and indeed anything that Gerald Robinson Brown uh, produces. Uh, well done, Auntie. Twenty's pretty good, though. It's you know Champions League kind of spaces oh, okay. uh, of the of the uh, the one seventeen leaderboard. Um, so absolutely uh, no shame in that at all. Um, and thank you for for playing along. Um, I didn't know the favourite theologian. Tell me a little bit more about James Cohn. C O N Cohn. So Cohn is the is the person who invents the modern academic version of black liberation theology. Ah, okay. Uh, and so he wrote his, uh, the first black theology book is called Black Theology and Black Power, published in 1969. And then he okay. wrote uh, over a dozen books since, died in 2018. I wrote a book on him last year for SCM, which was an introduction to James Cohn, which is okay. probably my favourite book. I mean, it's not, not necessarily the best book I've read, but it's the one I've loved most doing because Cohn is my hero. Um, oh, amazing. So, yeah, so, yeah, so James Cohn is my favourite theologian. Oh, well, thank you. So those of you paying attention at home, we've already had two really good recommendations there then. Go and read Jar Robinson's Brown's book and go and look up James Cohn. That's certainly what I will be doing Uh after this conversation thank you very much and uh be good to to just hear a little bit of what you might say in your 10 minutes about the west indies cricket team because that's uh, uh, uh i grew up in the the south caribbean and the west indies cricket teams had a uh, an important place in my heart for many a year um so so yeah give, give us a highlight do you have a favorite player yeah it would be viv richards closely followed by malcolm marshall um uh they were part of my childhood growing up when the Westerners were all conquering. I'm like, they've been rubbish for a long time now. So like my father calls them the worst Indies, not the Westerners, oh, the no. worst <laughs> Indies. Um, because like, they've been lament that they've been really poor for a long time. But certainly in the days when they were all conquering, that was one of my real delights to watch them play. Um, I really fell in love with them in 1976. I was 11 that summer when they came and toured. And that's when Viv Richards first came to the UK and that all-conquering team is the one that I fell in love with. Um, actually, one of the best moments of my life very, very quickly was I was in Barbados in 2017. So I went there to do some teaching at the Theological College called Codrington. And I was staying with a, a friend who lives in Barbados, so she's a Bayesian woman. And then one day in passing, you know, um, and given how crazy I am, she knows about cricket. She just says in passing, she says, oh, by the way, um, you know that on the other side of the island, there's a bar that's owned by Charlie Griffiths, who's one of the great players of the late 60s. And a lot of the retired players, like, they turn up and they sit, they swap stories, and they oh, kind amazing. of entertain the um, uh, tourists. You know, I'm like, would you want to go? And I'm like, so you're waiting until halfway into the trip to tell me the most important... Absolutely. Anyway, so off we went. And they often say, don't meet your heroes because like, they'll only kind of disappoint you. Absolutely not. They were... Oh. Everything I hoped they would be, they were. 
And so there's two stand-up people I met. I mean, there were older people who played before my time. But 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 front center was Gordon Greenwich and Desmond Haynes, who were like the great mm. opening partnership of the kind of eighties and early nineties. And I could have stayed there all day. Unfortunately, I was booked to lead a Bible study in the evening <laughs> at seven o'clock. And my friend literally, literally had to drag me from the bar. <laughs> so you know, like, Crowbar you, you out. No, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. No, 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 you have to go. I'm, I'm dragging you out because people who have come from all over the island to hear you do the Bible study. I'm thinking, sod the Bible study, mate. I'm, I'm gonna, no. So I, so I had to leave. And the five hours I was there, five hours just flew like that. Mm, wow. Yeah, that, that does sound a little bit like maybe what heaven will be like. Um, sitting sitting in bars in Barbados talking to Gordon Greenwich. For those folks who don't know you, haven't already got a sense from our conversation so far, you're not just a leading expert on West Indies cricket history. Uh, tell, tell us a bit about your role in the in the church, Anthony, the work that you're doing at the moment. Okay, well, um, I'm a black liberation theologian. Um, essentially, that is a faith-based approach, largely Christian, uh, overwhelmingly Christian, approach to tackling issues of oppression and injustice in the world through the belief that the God revealed in Jesus Christ is a God of liberation and a God who stands on the side of the oppressed. And so whilst there are different versions of liberation theologies, um, the version that I'm most committed to, although I've worked in other areas as well, is very much really around fighting, well, fighting systemic racism and working for the liberation of all peoples, but particularly those people of darker skin, predominantly of African descent. I do that working within Oxford University, where I am a research fellow and a director of a centre at Regents Park College, but I also do a lot of work ecumenically. And for a long time, I worked at the Queen's Foundation in Birmingham and was a consultant in Black Theological Studies for the Methodist Church. I think that was 99 to 2012 I did that. And then I worked briefly for the Connectional Team um, as a learning and development officer where, I, again, I was still sort of trying to apply my black theology work to helping the church in its mission and ministry. Fantastic. Uh, thanks, Anthony. And I guess you, you might have already started to answer this question um, but by giving us an idea of, of, of your kind of background and your specialism and your passions. But um, we know that lots of people tune into 117, either the, the live broadcast or the uh, our podcast to, to get ideas for how they can be part of making the world a better place, how they can seek justice. Um, we or we can have always got a few suggestions for people, but we also really like to hear what our what our guests have to say. Um, is is there something you'd kind of recommend? You'd invite people into uh, in the story of of seeking justice in our world? Yeah, I've I've often characterised it that there are kind of three domains that we are all part of in terms of our connections. For the most simplest, which is about what we do ourselves, all of us have some agency. We may not be able to change the world, but we can impact the people who meet us and the people whom we meet. So there's a great quote, I think, comes from Gandhi, where he says, be the change that you want to see in the world. Be the change you want to see in the world. So every one of us has the capacity to be the presence of Christ in the world and the people we meet. That may not change the world, 
but it can certainly make an impact on the immediate surroundings in which we find ourselves. There's another great quote, again, which I think I think um, this comes from, um, from Desmond Tutu, who says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, then you've never shared a bed with a mosquito. <laughs> yes. um, so not to push the analogy or the metaphor too far, there's a sense in which all of us can be that pesky mosquito that just says that this body of injustice, we may not be able to, to bring it down, but we can certainly be a nuisance. We can certainly be a faithful disturber. So that's at the kind of personal level. Then I've always thought that one of the real gifts that the church has is through its connections when we have with each other. Church is always about community. It's about bringing us together beyond ourselves in, in fellowship with others. Um, and so I love your motto in terms of 117, in Christ. That essentially is the, is the heart of the Christian faith. And therefore, what we know is that that our witness is always much more powerful when we work collectively. So how then does the church become a sign of resistance and change and transformation, working collectively with its own resources, but also then working in partnership with other people? So that's the kind of interconnected stuff. The third bit really is then finally really about systemic stuff, which obviously is the hardest to change because you're an individual or even network of churches. You can't just change the world like that. But what we can do is, is to realise that all our actions and the choices we make have, have major implications. And so if we think about climate justice and we think now about how we've been encouraged to take steps to modify our way of living, if we think about being in a democracy and how we vote, not telling people how to vote, but, you know, if we voted on the basis of what will help the poorest and the least and the lost rather than what will help me in terms of my own personal life, then our world would be very different. And I think those are very practical things that all of us can do. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for that that challenge. And there's hopefully there's something there for all, all of us too as well. I think, you know, often sometimes we as organisations or we as church, we can focus on perhaps one of those three, you know, let's be annoying or let's bring people together or let's systemic change. But actually there's a sort of, I love the invitation in your Trinitarian challenge, I guess, to be three in one, to be able to do to do all three at any one time is is critical to, to seeing actual change happen. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, and uh, obviously a lot of your work around uh, black liberation theology has engaged with with issues of racism and and anti-racism is a is a really kind of critical part of of the work that we're trying to do at all we can as we try and sort of think how do we as a still as a kind of majority white uh, organization certainly representing a majority white church here in the UK how do we engage with uh, our global brothers and sisters how do we tackle poverty uh, whilst we know that when we even begin to do that work, we're bringing all of the baggage of overseas mission and all of the other um, phrases that have been used to to to, to um, build slightly problematic relationships with with uh, uh, particularly actually Africa and the Caribbean, um, but also other parts of our world. Um, I guess is there anything kind of challenge you'd offer to us something to help us wrestle with that that balancing act that I feel like is a consistent part of of my job and of our role as as all we can not just the staff team but the whole supporter base some of whom are listening in today so a quote and a very very quick story to illustrate the quote 
um, mm. as you may tell, I'm a bit of a storyteller. That's how I kind of work and teach. So, um, so the quote comes from the great James Baldwin, who says, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Mm. And, and therefore, I think one of the critical questions, certainly I, we've seen a lot of the rising consciousness around how we think about history and how systemic power works and how injustice works post the murder of George Floyd is really about facing up to things that we perhaps have been reluctant to think about for a long time. So a very quick story, There's this, it's an apocryphal story and there are different versions of it. The version I heard came from actually from a white Methodist bishop in Southern Africa, a guy called Peter Story. And Peter Story tells this story, but there are other versions of it. So two families go on holiday. These are the days before mobile phones. That's the key thing you need to know. If it was now, it'd be different. So two families go on holiday. They stagger, they stagger their holiday by a week between them. So one, so the first couple goes to this new resort, and the second couple will join them a week later. So first couple go and they arrive at this resort. It's got all fancy pictures and images of it. When they arrive, they find out it's nothing like that. It's not finished yet. It's only half built. And worst of all, it's next door to a pig farm. So the smell is terrible. And that's what hits them straight away. The husband is incandescent with rage and says, this is terrible. Let's just leave. I can't put up with this. His wife says, well, honey, let's see if we can make the best of it. After all, we've already paid our money. We're here. And besides which, if we leave, then like the, uh, the other couple won't know that we're not here and they're coming anyway. So let's just make the best of it. So they say, okay, so we'll make the best of it. Week later, the second family come. They arrive, get off the plane, get shuttled to the to the, uh, to the resort, same thing hits them, this terrible smell, and they're appalled as well. So the second couple turn to the first couple and they say, how have you put up with the smell here? And the first couple say, smell, what smell? <laughs> and, 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 and the point that story makes is to say, part of the reason why injustice and systemic oppression operates is not because most of the world are horrible, nasty people. Mm. It's because what tends to happen is that they get habituated to it. So after a while, they don't see anything wrong with it. And they continue as if the world is perfectly fine, even though there is a terrible smell, there is an, something noxious taking place. And so one of the things I've often said, particularly now in this present age, is how do we help people to better recognise the realities of the world in which we live? that systemic injustice didn't just start yesterday, it didn't start with George Floyd being murdered. It's been in evidence for several hundred years in terms of colonialism and empires and the way in which particular parts of the world are being routinely exploited, particularly by people from Europe. That's not to say everyone who was, who was involved in the mission was terrible. That's not true. And, and, and that's not to say that people's motives were not optimistic and hopeful even though mm. the outcomes of it are very varied and very problematic. There's no quick fix to this, but at the very yeah. least, like to go back to the Baldwin quote, is that until we can face it, that there's no hope of ever bringing about change. Mm. And so part of that is truth-telling. Part of it is wrestling with the legacies of this, is to wrestle with the way in which language works and how language, again, helps to routinely create dichotomies so I'm always aware, for example, 
that when people come from other places, particularly the former colonies into Britain and other places as well, they're immigrants. And, the, and, and that word has a particular way in terms of how we think about those people. When white people go to other people's countries, they become expats. Expats, yeah. Which, are, which then yeah. has entirely different resonance. Mm. Mm. One is a nuisance that you have to deal with. Other is somehow some benign presence that at mm. best you don't mind. You know, and at, at worst you don't mind, but at best like you probably think it's probably even an asset to your country. Mm. So, for example, just very quickly, I have a friend of a friend, who obviously shall remain nameless, whose parents have lived in Spain for the best part of 35 years. Now, here's the thing about his parents in Spain, which he himself had acknowledged. They have learnt no Spanish. They live in a little enclave with other English expats, and they love their English beer and fish and chips and all the old stuff they love about England, but in a nice warm climate in someone else's country. Mm. It's not so breezy and brisk as it no. is on the Seven Beach today. No one ever perceives them as being a problem that somehow, like, they're not integrating, they're not learning the language, they're not trying to become part of the country. They have this little enclave by themselves. No, it's fine because they're white and they're British and they have money. Translate that to someone who comes from Africa or Eastern Europe or some other place, and suddenly they're a problem that we have to fix because they're somehow not being properly British and they're letting the country down. We have to wrestle with those ways of language, ways of seeing, ways of perceiving, even before we get to policies and systems and structures. Mm. And, and that's about the the facing thing, right? At the the, the Baldwin quote, and and I think that's that's probably as uh, the the stage that that many of us who work in the the development sector are at as well. Is is that the very least we can do is is face the fact that there are challenges and issues here. Um, and yeah, I really like that though. I like I like the optimism of, of Baldwin as well that um, not blind optimism that just by facing something you'll fix it but that actually if you do take that process we can we can begin to to unpack some of those things because obviously we hold that intention with it's also not okay for us with all of our colonial history to then just say oh never mind um the world's an unequal place let's ignore those problems um and so yeah there's a constant wrestling with that and a, and a desire to listen and learn so thank you for for feeding uh feeding into that um is there anything you're kind of working on at the moment that you think might kind of speak into this space or into any of the the sort of interests of people tuning in today yeah so i've just um i've just completed co- editing a book with a friend and colleague and the book is called deconstructing whiteness empire and mission that will be out this summer with scm press and really what the book is doing is pretty much what we've just said so we've invited a number of our friends and colleagues some are academic theologians like myself some are ministers and activists um um this is about seven no, no 21 authors in the book i think 17 of whom are white um I'm about to say British, but not all the British. Like um, there's one from New Zealand um, and someone else from Australia, I think. But most um, are working in the UK, with exception of of uh, a one author I think who is in Australia, but originally from Tonga. And really, what we're and and, and really what all the authors are doing now is looking at this legacy of, particularly of empire and mission through the lens of this phenomenon called whiteness. Now, I need to be very clear here. This is not a critique and attack on people who are white. 
It is a recognition that there is a phenomena that comes out of this notion of whiteness, which is really about, well, it's all the things I was saying before, it's about how particular systems and practices get developed, how language gets constructed that makes some people normal and some people slightly different. Um, I mean, just in passing, just very quickly, I remember when I was a kid, about nine or ten, and I was playing out in the playground and I cut my knee and the nurse came to give me a plaster and she pulled out this big a packet of plasters and they said, oh, it's skin coloured. And they were light tanned. And that's what I'm looking thinking, well, that's not my skin. <laughs> okay. yeah, exactly. Well, clearly these are plasters that were made for white people using the notion <laughs> yeah, of white yeah. skin. Now, to be clear, I mean, the plaster, you know, I mean, the plaster did its job. It, you know, it mm. stopped the bleeding. Mm. So I'm not complaining about the plaster. But just think about the presumption of calling it mm. skin coloured. Mm. So in the book, what we're looking at is, is, is a legacy of how empire and mission often got, goes in hand in hand. It was David Livingston, one of the um, explorers and evangelists, well, uh, missionaries from the London Missionary Society in Southern Africa, who said, the basis of the British empire is the three Cs, commerce, civilization, and Christianity. Mm-hmm. So Christianity becomes the religion that helps to create and justify empire, um, taking the white man's burden and civilizing the natives. So, so what we're doing is looking critically at that and, and by deconstructing whiteness and deconstructing empire and mission, what we're saying is that not all of it is bad, but, but too often times we have not thought about it with enough criticality mm. in order to make sense of the fact that the world as it is today did not happen by accident. It's happened because of a set of geopolitical systems and structures and ideas that have been in place for several hundred years. And we can choose to either take part in those structures yeah. or or challenge them. And, and the, the silence, the not noticing the stench of your earlier story is, is perhaps the thing that most of us are most guilty of. We might be not trying to single-handedly build in, unequal structures, but if we're not calling out the smell, then we're, um, we're part of the problem. Um, yeah, thank you, Anthony. Well, that, we'll certainly look forward to that. So that's this summer from SCM, um, Deconstructing Whiteness, Empire and mission. Um, oh, yeah, you know, just three small topics. For, <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, a, a, a light bit of summer reading for, for everybody to take to their um, uh, respective holidays. Yeah, thank you. Um, though, thanks for, for the challenges that lie in, in that inherent in that work. And I think it's definitely uh, one of the many reasons we wanted to hear a little bit from you today, because we know what you're working on speaks into so much of what we're wrestling with. And what I, I know many of, of you tuning in to today and, and listening along will be, um, will be wrestling with too. Um, if folks have kind of had their appetite whetted by this uh, conversation, Anthony, how can people stay in touch with you? How can people follow up? Where would you recommend they go next as a uh, learn more about Anthony Reddy? Okay, well, I, I, I'm i on Twitter. Uh, I think my Twitter handle is AG Reddy, I think something like that. And, and I'm on Facebook as well, so please, um, please feel free to come and befriend me. Uh, I need all the friends I can get. <laughs> um, I've also got a website, um, so an uh, easy way to contact me is antonyreddy.com, antonyreddy.com, and if you go there, there's a link that then will send an email to me, uh, to my um, personal email address. That's another way of keeping in touch. Um, yeah, so I try to be active on social media. 
Fabulous. Yeah. Um, um, certainly I've found some of your, the stuff you've offered into social media spaces, critiques of what's happening in the news or sometimes even what's happening in the church, uh, really helpful and, and, um, definitely recommend that to folks but before we let you go Anthony and get back to your uh your I think you said you were going to do lunch straight after this um uh do you mind if I just pray for you before we we finish not at all uh become our tradition here at 117 that we uh send our guests away with a a moment of prayer so folks do join in if you're you're here live you might like to share um your own prayers in the comments just perhaps the word praying or a praying emoji to, to say that you're you're with us and we pray as a community uh, but but also wherever you are across time and space uh, let's hold this moment uh, as as a moment before God gracious God we thank you for Anthony and for his ministry we thank you for uh, his big brain and all the ways in which you are using him and his skills to help challenge and inspire to help uh, call out some of the injustices some of the lingering smells that still exist uh, in our world we pray a blessing on him and the uh, the work he's doing uh, in Oxford at the moment uh, and the the future writings and um, uh, other resources that might might come out of uh, Anthony's brain and out into the world to, to bless us, to challenge us, to give us new things to, to think about and to, to learn from. Um, we pray that you'll continue to, to use him to be uh, one of your uh, prophets, one of your disciples who, who um, challenges and inspires in, in, in equal measure. We pray too for everybody tuning in uh, today. We pray for uh, the the questions and um, thoughts that that the the stories and, and images Anthony shared with us has has raised in us. We pray that you'll uh, continue to to let those questions niggle away at us, uh, that they might uh, change who we are uh, and and transform each of us, so that we can be part of a, a fairer, juster, uh, safer world where we can uh, gather uh, across the world and across different identities and feel that we are connected, we are held together in you, in Christ. We bring these and all our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks for tuning in. Diane says thank you both for a challenging conversation. She's looking forward to the next 117. We're looking forward to that too. I think we've got a, a, a pig farm correspondent from uh, Mark Stennett, who I think grew up on a pig farm, saying uh, there's no wrong with the little sweet smelling of, of pig farms. Um, but uh, thank you to, to everybody for tuning in and for sharing your comments with us. And a big thank you to you, Anthony, for your time. Um, we shall look forward to staying in touch and um, very much looking forward to reading the new book. Today's prayer is from Dorica, a member of William Village in the Chikwawa district of Malawi. All We Can's partner, Eagles, works in William Village and communities like it in Malawi to see every person's potential fulfilled. You can find out more about Eagles in our Lent devotional, Be Transformed, which is available at allwecan.org.uk forward slash Lent. Dorica's prayer will be led in her mother language of Chikewa, and then after this we invite you to join with her in English. Take a 
ndikunenera so zimene kuti ndisinenera kuti zizakale ndikupempera kumamba ndunenera china chiti chose chimene tufuna tizakale tufuna tizaendemo kumamba ndikapempa kwainu chikakale kuchoka mpamvu yano mulemekezeke ambuye ndinumulungu amene munakonda mudzi wa William ndikupempera mitengo anga kale Yesu ntaka anga kale baba china chiti chose chimene baba tuchindenera kuchidzakale pano anga kale nsogolo ambuye china chiti chose tikaitichitanira padzina lanu mulemekezeke inumulungu ndinumulungu wa moyo mwayenera matamando kufashina chiti chose mudzesta pempera amen Let's close our eyes and pray. I respect and uplift you because of your greatness. Jesus, thank you for our village of William. I pray for the needs we have here. I pray that everything that we are going to need, everything we want to be and everywhere we want to go will be in your hands and come from your power. Be respected, Father, for you are the God who loved our village. I pray that the trees will bear fruit and that everything that we want this place to be now and in the future father would come from you we respect you god for you are the living god you deserve glory for everything we pray in the name of jesus amen <laughs>